Hello, I'm Wendy. I'm going to read to you from Isaiah today. Isaiah 42 verses 1 to 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or pray or my praise to idols. See the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Thank you, Wendy, for that amazing reading. Um, I don't know if you have noticed it or not, but this weekend we would have been in a church weekend away. Um, and um, unfortunately, because of the COVID-19, we cannot be there. But I wanted to mark it somehow because uh, Tim Welsh would have been um, our uh, speaker. And um, I just wanted to introduce you to Tim. Tim is the coordinator of the Ministerial Formation. And also he is a tutor in practical theology at the Bristol Baptist College. Tim is a pastor. He is a friend of mine and he is my mentor. And um, I'm, I'm very honored and I'm very privileged to be journeying my um, ministry with Tim. And we've gone through uh, lots of questions and lots of prayer times together. But I, I really wanted uh, for him to be speaking and sharing God's words with us uh, today, just to mark the church week and the way. So Tim, it's, it's so good to have you uh, with us. And uh, thank you for, for yeah, joining us this morning. Um, I would like to pray for you because, before I hand it over. Is that all right? Father God, thank you for your servant. Thank you for his passion for you and your church. I pray, Lord, that as he unfolds to us this ancient word, I pray that your spirit will allow us to have our hearts be soft soil to receive the seed of your words and to give fruit plentiful for your glory. I, Lord, pray that Tim will be that instrument of yours today to reveal to us the wisdom of God. So would you bless him? Would you help him? And would you allow us to be not only hearers of your word, 
but obedient and faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great. Thank you so much for that warm welcome and lovely to join the Cairns Road Baptist Church family today in these very strange times. Um, as, as you just alluded to there, um, we had this booking a long time ago that uh, we would be on a weekend away together. And I was really looking forward to that, but not to be. But this is uh, still a, a good chance to connect. And uh, I want to this morning bring the, this word from that passage that Wendy just read to us from Isaiah chapter 42. Whatever our age and stage in life, there are three words that we've all spoken or thought at some time or another, perhaps even in the last few days. It's not fair. I'm sure you have, or maybe it's just me. But imagine various scenarios where those three words have reverberated. Some of them, of course, just momentary appeals for justice, and some of them deep and painful and long-standing cries for justice. So in the school playground, it's not fair. Or in the home when asked to do a job, and perhaps expected to do a job, it's not fair. Or in the workplace, and somebody else has been given the job or the promotion you felt you deserved. Definitely not fair. Perhaps in the doctor's surgery, as the diagnosis and prognosis is received, it's not fair. Or in the game of football, referee, it's not fair. Uh, I, I collect little uh, newspaper cuttings every now and again or from the web, and um, I had this one in front of me that uh, came from the Shropshire Star, so it must be true. And uh, the title is Referee Sends Off Brother. And it basically is a brief account of a football match in, in non-league football where uh, a footballer was sent off brawling on the, on, the, on the soccer field. And when the centre-back realised he could not afford to pay the £30 fine, he had to crawl back to his bank manager, who was his brother, to pay it. So there you have the, the referee was his brother who sent him off. And then when he couldn't pay the fine, the referee become, as in the brother, goes to pay the fine because justice has to be done. It's part of the rules. It's part of fairness. Friends, I could go on with a long, long list, the work tribunal or the family court, or in economic terms, 60% of the world's population live on less than £4 a day, and that's not fair. Or 2 billion people do not have access to basic water and toilet facilities in the world uh, and we do and that's not fair and of course the cries of so many around the world in the past few weeks since the horrific death of George Floyd are that black lives matter and they do for the color of skin and ethnicity should never lead to oppression or brutality and higher risk of death this morning I speak not to bring us down but with the realities of our contemporary world where sin is such an endemic problem things are so messed up and broken and we recognize in the human heart this cry for justice for wrongs to be put right amos one of the old testament prophets was seething about the injustices of his day and he declares god's word to the people that 
for all their religious devotion, it's absolutely meaningless if they do not consider the needs of the poor and those who are without rights. Jackie alluded to this verse from Amos chapter 5. Stop your singing and your cool music and let justice flow down like the mountains, like waters and righteousness, like a never flowing stream. Thankfully, it's not just one or two verses here or there that support this. It's actually the very basis of God's covenant with his people based on justice and fairness for the way that day-to-day -day life is to be ordered. So it's no surprise when Jesus, Son of God, walks this planet that Jesus picked up on these themes of justice and he links himself with the powerful words spoken by the prophets in previous centuries. Uh, you will know it well, presumably, but uh, Luke chapter 4, when Jesus uh, has the scroll from Isaiah read in the synagogue that morning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And then these astounding words that Jesus says. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The verses from another part of Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 42, that Wendy read to us, they are also repeated in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, fulfilling what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. So I know that this morning, for these few minutes, I'm on really solid ground. Reminding us that justice is part of God's agenda. Not just a call for justice, but providing the very means whereby justice will be established. Friends, I want us to really try and grab hold of this because it's got a challenge, it's got an encouragement, it's got something for you, it's got something for me, it's got something for us as church families locally. That God's justice will come in and through Jesus and then through us. 700 years before Jesus comes, he's depicted here in Isaiah as God's servant. If you're looking at a Bible open, it's Isaiah 42 and verse 1. And I want us to capture that word, how 42, chapter 42 starts. Here is my servant. And it actually follows a section in the previous chapter all about idols. And what Isaiah is really saying that on one hand, idols amount to nothing. Their images are wind, they create confusion. And this is significant for the people of God, of course. Because at that time in their history, they are displaced, they are confused, they're disorientated. They're facing increasing pressures and seemingly insurmountable problems in the fear they create idols so what god is saying to his people is look at those idols all about they're little gods and contrast them to the lord god almighty on the other hand uh, isaiah i'm sort of paraphrasing all this really but it's basically saying oi grabbing their attention all those little idols are less than nothing and your works are utterly useless 
because there's an emptiness here there are lies there's deception and they are but wind and confusion and as i lower this hand with all their sort of idols as it were raising this hand with look at your god my servant whom i uphold friends please understand i'm not just playing a silly word game here uh, some of the older translations different translations start chapter 42 with this phrase behold my servant whom i uphold it's a call that pulsates through the previous couple of chapters in isaiah behold your god in my head as i was uh, preparing this i was thinking of the contemporary uh, song worship song behold our god sovereign grace uh, production i don't know if you know that at cairns road but behold our god seated on his throne come let us adore him behold our god nothing can compare come let us adore him i hover on that word behold for just a moment because i tend not to use it very often in day-to-day -day parlance maybe you do behold it just gets us to stop and to gaze and to linger I don't know if you've done that recently with anything in life maybe you can sort of immediately remember going around an art gallery or seeing a, a setting or a picture and you just stop and you linger you pause you go deep you delve I ask you a pressing question when did you last behold our god and linger and pause and meditate and consider you see friends that is the voice from heaven that comes through isaiah the prophet and then hundreds of years later from heaven as jesus son of god is baptized in the jordan river behold my son the voice says whom i love in him i'm well pleased i want us to look at god's servant together i want us to linger i want us to hold these moments just very briefly three uh, three or so points but to behold our god in in our sort of uh, culture these days if we're trying to appoint somebody for a job or for a role we will often draw up the job spec and then we go looking for the right sort of person who can fulfill all the criteria in the job spec but what isaiah presents to us here in these few verses is the job spec and also the person who is going to supremely fulfill this role you understand god's servant is the person and the job all rolled into one. First thing god is presenting the the promise of a justice servant I think that title is astounding, you know, because we might have expected God to send a justice commissioner or a justice executive with a title that is grand. But actually, what we get here through Isaiah's words from heaven itself, from God, is this picture of a servant, God's servant, a justice servant. He is promising here the only thing that he can deliver. And the remit is clear in the verse three 
sorry, verse 1, he will bring justice to the nations. Verse 3, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. Verse 4, he will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. And there is something about God's heart for this world that he has made and loves so much that he wants to protect the order and the social life and the cohesion where social power is spread so that even the weak and vulnerable can experience dignity and fairness and live a life of security and well-being. Those who've been shoved around and perhaps they were the very people in exile getting this message uh, through the prophets is that they're to know that there is a day of reckoning that will come. Now that's a major claim, but one day the facts will be heard in a courtroom. That gives hope. And of course the significant picture in Isaiah 41 uh, leading into 42 is that there is a courtroom as it's depicted where God will sit and hear the evidence. And the nations will be invited one after another. And the trial between the idols and the Lord God Almighty will be heard. Present your case, God says in chapter 41, verse 21. Can you predict the future? And can you predict and bring about the future of perfect justice? Of course, the answer is humanly no way. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we therefore sit around doing nothing, just leaving it all for God to sort out justice. But this morning, I have it on my heart that the reminder that we need is that God is at work in the big sweep of history. That there is one promise by God who is the justice servant. And he is God's guarantee that justice will be established for the nations. And then a, a second angle is that there is a promise here of a quiet servant. Uh, again, this is remarkable, not just a justice servant, but a quiet servant. And this thought is a tantalizing, provocative thought that God's servant will come imperceptibly to many. Now, of course, such a contrast to the way that the world will fight for justice. Uh, we campaign with loud voices and big campaigns, and sometimes we need to. I'm not criticizing the value of such campaigns. But let's pick up God's word to us here in verse 2. This servant will not shout out or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. You know, that's such a contrast to the contemporary world of Isaiah, I would say to the world we're in. The kings of the ancient world, or the presidents and prime ministers of our world, uh, often are full of um, volume and bluster and power as they seek to dominate and control the agenda. What God says to us today, is his servant is never pushy, never aggressive. In fact, for much of the time, very unnoticed, working behind the scenes to bring God's kingdom about. Alec Mateer, in his amazing, I think, brilliant commentary of Isaiah, describes the power of kings like King Cyrus, king of Persia of that time, the big superpower, muscling in to control people 
and to impose their will and reputation on the world. And yet Matthias says basically Cyrus is just one of God's tools in God's toolkit. He observes how God's servant comes unostentatiously, never self-advertising. How like Jesus. And my final point, bring it in, is here is the promise of a tender servant. And the two very powerful pictures in these verses, uh, you'll be familiar perhaps with them or hear them again as if for the first time. That God's servant will bring justice quietly and tenderly. And the first picture is the picture of a reed. And maybe we can imagine the tall reeds in the swampy grasslands and how brittle those reeds are. They break, they snap. Maybe some of you play a woodwind instrument. Uh, about five years ago, midlife crisis, I think, I started to have lessons to learn to play the oboe. And I discovered what all you woodwind instrumentalists know, just how precious the reed is as you come to blow. I was rubbish at this, I have to confess. But this reed, a double reed, which is broken, and how, in a sense, the minute it gets broken, and I can't even get a noise out of this one now. It's delicate, it snaps, it becomes useless. Friends, that picture is meant to be poignant because some of us today, we're feeling a bit like that, rather brittle, fragile, snappable, crushed. And the reminder is, God's servant, we would see as Jesus who comes those centuries later, will take hold of a bruised reed so gently and value it and see its potential and see that it can be brought back into usefulness. The other picture is the picture of the candle wick. And it's lovely um, to see the candle that's been burning behind uh, Mackie there in the church. Uh, very powerful. I wasn't aware Mackie was going to do it, so I lit my own tiny candle. And you can just about maybe, I don't know if you can see that on the screen in front of me, but smouldering wick. And you know, that's a picture in its own way of just how fragile again some of us feel. And the reminder that God's servant comes to gently blow and to bring the flame back. So that it can become what it has been and what it will be. And in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. Friends, receive the hope of these verses this morning. They're not just to make us feel better or more useful. They are enveloped around this theme of justice. And that's important, I believe. That the servant of God is both able to secure justice and able to supply justice for those for whom this is not fair. And again, we discover in Jesus, our wonderful saviour and Lord, our friend, this profound love he has for the lowly, those who've been treated so abysmally. Jesus identifies with the very ones he came to set free. He demonstrates that immense love for the neighbour who has been offended and treated badly. Remember how in the story of the Good Samaritan, it's as if Jesus crosses the road of social divides, as in the story he tells.
And he goes up to that one who has been beaten up in the Good Samaritan account, or he goes up to any one of hundreds and thousands of people, and he comes up to us today. Though like a bruised reed, though smouldering like a candle about to go out, and gives that person, that man, that woman, that boy, that girl, all the dignity and rights, paying the resources for the hotel bill, taking them home, promising them so much more. The question in the Good Samaritan story was, which of these was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The answer you know was the one who had mercy on him. Jesus says precisely, Go and do likewise. Friends, it's an eminently practical response to the cries of injustice that are all about. And as I, as I finish, I just wonder, are you coming to see Jesus as you behold him again today? Seeing him even more clearly. That he's more than a great teacher, as profound his teaching is. He is the suffering servant of God. The one who has come for you and came for me. The one who knows what injustice is all about. In his rigged trial, Jesus experienced horrific abuse and cruelty, even unto death. So that through his death and resurrection, a new future, new hope, can be the experience of every person on this planet. Of course, many in this world never get to see justice in this life but the promise of god throughout the bible is that their cry has been heard and one day god as judge will right all wrongs and he will judge with absolute fairness and today maybe your cry is god it's not fair how long as the reading earlier in the service was reminding us God calls us to do something about that wherever we can. But let's act in the power of Jesus, who is the justice servant, the quiet servant, the tender servant. He promises that he will have the final word. Behold your God. Amen.